Hello, thanks for joining us today on the Faith Alive Christian Fellowship Podcast. May God bless, keep, and equip you with today's message. So welcome everybody. We're so glad you're here today and we're gonna look at, uh, excuse me, part four of the tabernacle. Today we're gonna talk about the outer court and uh, you may think like I did uh, before that as you studied from the, you know, the Holy of Holies going out that things might not be quite as uh, significant, but actually in the outer court, there's some things in there that God has put specifically in the design of the tabernacle uh, that are really the most important in a lot of ways. And so I wanna encourage you today, we're gonna talk about the altar of burnt offering, excuse me, and the laver. And of course, the altar burnt offering would be on the far right of your picture there. And then the altar is right situated between it and the, the holy place with the, uh, with the tent over it. And so, uh, be, but before you got to the altar or to the, yes, the altar of burnt offering, before you got to that, you see there's, a, there's kind of a curtain all the way around the tabernacle. By the way, it wasn't a showy outward uh, look to the tabernacle. You didn't see the, in the tabernacle, the original one, you didn't see a whole bunch of glitter and tinsel and things from the outside. It looked very plain. And uh, it kind of reminds me of the scripture where it says Jesus was not uh, made to be attractive physically to people. It said he wasn't that way, but people would seek out Jesus because of what, who he was, who he was. And so uh, just something to remember as believers. I mean, for your parents, do the best with what we have, right? Take a shower, put on uh, antiperspirant and uh, wear your best. But uh, it's what's inside that counts. There used to be a commercial on TV. It's what's inside that counts. I don't remember quite how that jingle went, but if I tried, I could. And then I wouldn't get it out of my head. So I won't try too hard. But it's what's inside that counts. The outward of the tabernacle was not something that, people would just be, oh, I gotta go see what that is, you know, necessarily, just to look at it in appearance. Now, uh, so we're gonna talk about going to this tabernacle. There was a gate, and, and you might not quite see it in your picture, but there was a gate just off from the altar that you had to go into, and uh, that would be the first thing you would pass through to get into the tabernacle. And uh, of course, you know, you just see Jesus in all of this. Remember he said, I am the way, John 14, six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but by me. There's really only one way to get into this thing, and that's through Jesus. But I wanna look at a second scripture here. This is in Matthew chapter seven. Lots of scripture today. I believe we'll see these in a, in a fuller way today as we read these. And... Uh, Matthew chapter seven, I'm gonna read verse 13. Jesus speaking, he said, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way or made narrow is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. So Jesus is, he's in the gate. (laughs) We'll see he's in everything, but he's in the gate. He's in the outward, he's in the gate. And uh, so we're just gonna talk a little bit now about the altar of burnt offering. This is in Exodus chapter 27. And it's good to go back and just read the description. And as we do these, remember numbers are significant. We're not gonna go through our number list today. We could take a whole Sunday and go through the numbers and the significance. We may touch on a few of them in a little bit, 
But remember, number five is a very significant number. It's the number of grace. It's the number of the local house, the fivefold ministry, the equipping of the saints. And that's an important number. It's, we all need the grace of God in our life. We all need to be equipped in our life to move on with God. And so just remember that. We're gonna read uh, from Exodus 27, and I'll start at verse one here. You shall make an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits wide, and the altar shall be square. And its height shall be three cubits, and you shall make its horns on its four corners. Its horn shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. Now, if you remember, does anybody remember what bronze stands for? What it's a, what's the symbol of? I'll take anybody's guess. Judgment, that's correct. And so bronze is the metal that was used and it's typified in scripture as judgment. So here we have an overlaid altar for burning the offering of the bulls and goats on the altar made of bronze, which was a very uh, durable metal. And it speaks of judgment. And remember, it says it has four horns on it. Well, that's a picture that this gospel was meant to go to the four corners of the world. It's a picture that God wants to reach out to everybody. And so the four horns are pointing in four directions saying God loves the whole world. Remember the scripture? We all know this one. Before I came to the Lord, I saw it one time sitting there drinking beer, watching a rock concert and someone held up John 3.16 in the crowd. And I was like, I wonder what that is all about, John 3.16. I don't know. Anyway, it uh, says this, and I did look it up later because I got curious. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes on him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. He loves the world. God loves the world, not just one group of people, all people of the world. So the altar with the four horns is telling us in picture that this is for everybody. All right, uh, is there anything else in there we wanna look at? That sh you shall make its horns on its four corners and its horns shall be of one piece with it and you shall overlay it with bronze. So we'll stop there for now. There's some more details. But remember, we're going, to, we're going to take off and to see Jesus in the altar here, the offering on the altar, really. Uh, it was a substitutional offering that was put on the altar. So an animal was brought, tied to the four horns. It was burned. And it says in the Bible that these animals could not take away man's sin. All they could do was cover the horrible thing that great grandpa Adam did. He's your grandpa too, by the way. And uh, what he did was so terrible that it required this just to keep man uh, covered, his sin covered in this period of time until Jesus could actually come. And we're gonna, we're gonna see that in a minute. But, but it could only cover sin, not take it away. And I know I'm talking to believers mostly today, but uh, it's really good to just let that sink in. That that whole system in the tabernacle of offering, 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 burnt offering, that should be a picture of how terrible sin is. If you don't get anything else out of it, get that out of it, because that's really the reality that we should see it in. And uh, it even says that God didn't delight in the blood of, of bulls and goats and, and their sacrifice. He didn't want that, but that's what had to happen because what? He wanted you more than the animals. God loves people more than animals. That'll help 
keep you squared away there. He loves people more than trees. He loves people even more than if the climate goes up a degree. There, that was free, that was an extra. All right, remember, he loves people, that's number one. All right, and uh, remember, Jesus was the sin offering once and for all, revealed as the only sacrifice that takes away sin. Remember, John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God, who what? Takes away the sin of the world, not covers it. You didn't say, behold the Lamb of God that's gonna cover the sin for us. No, Jesus can take away sin. He can make it like I was never affected by the sin of Adam in my life. And that's a starting place. That's a way, amen, that's the beginning. That's the beginning. All right, we're gonna look at Mark chapter 14 and verse 22. And the setting here is where Jesus is with the disciples He's about to be arrested. They're about to go out. And uh, we'll let the scripture speak for itself here. Mark 14, I'm gonna begin in verse 22. And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you for." shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink of it new in the kingdom of God. Now look at the next verse. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Wouldn't you like to know what they sang? Yeah, I got curious about that too. And I did a little research and I found out years ago that what they would sing at the Passover is called the Hallel on Passover, it's in the Psalms. It goes from Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. So just as we read a few portions from this, remember Jesus is literally singing this the night before he goes to the cross. Let that sink in a little bit. And we're gonna read uh, in the Psalm 116 portion from verse 13 to 19, Jesus is singing this with the disciples. I will take up the cup of salvation. I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people in the courts of the Lord's house. See, this is, this is where the altar was, in the outer court. In the midst of you, O Jerusalem. Now they're, they're singing through this and they come to this past portion in Psalm 118. And I'm gonna keep reading from verse 19 to 29. Open to me the gates of the righteous. I will go through them. I will praise the Lord. And I kind of see it in my mind as Jesus is singing this, he's got knowledge and revelation. He knew he was the lamb at this point. He knew he was the sacrifice. He also knew many other things, but I picture him knowing he's singing about himself. Verse 20, this is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. 
we will rejoice and be glad in it. Think of Jesus is saying that, singing that, the night that he's betrayed to, to die and pay the price for the sin of the world. Save now, O Lord, I pray. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Look at this. Verse 27, God is the Lord. He's given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Jesus is saying, I'm about to get bound to this altar. He's literally reading about himself and singing it with the disciples. Do they know what's going on? Probably not. This was a tradition they'd probably done for generations they had. But it's significant because Jesus, we're, we're seeing how he really, how this was all revealed and it should be a revelation to us. And he says, oh, give thanks. Verse 28, you are my God and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his mercy endures forever. Now flip over to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. This is called the, you know, for other, th among other things, it's called the Messianic uh, portion. It's one of the most vivid prophecies about the death of Messiah. We know it's the death of Jesus and we know he is the one in here. But look, let's start from verse four. I'll read four to seven here first. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All sin was laid on Jesus on that altar. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin. There it is again. He is the offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his day. Jesus saw his children, you that have accepted Jesus Christ. He's looking at you. In another place in the Bible, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He's looking to you, being able to once again be restored fellowship and be able to have eternity with him restored what Adam lost. Only way it could be done. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. Verse 11, by his knowledge, my righteous servants shall justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Jesus didn't die for sin on his part because he never sinned. He totally did it for us. Let that sink in. All right, have a Selah moment with that one. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse four. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse four. For it is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. And now I'm gonna read just some of these passages in here. It's good to go and read this whole passage listed here, but I'll just read some. It says in verse 10, by Jesus, we have been sanctified by that will. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering 
of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 12, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, sat down forever. That is the moment, the apex, the the zenith of history we are looking back to as believers is that Jesus paid and paid it all for that sin that Adam created. All the saints back here were seeing in types and shadows what was to come. They're looking ahead to the Messiah. Their sins are covered. We're looking back and we're all looking at the same moment. That's why it says he did it once and for all. There's no need for another bull to be offered for sin. And by the way, it's impossible for you and I to pay for initial sin by an offering. There is an offering we can do. We'll get into that a little bit later. But the initial price of sin, none of us could pay. Jesus said, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Nothing. There's nothing we could give. There's nothing we could pay. I couldn't be good enough to make my way into heaven because I've still got the sin initial problem on me, the condemnation that only Jesus' blood can take off. And that I've got to do by faith. That I've got to do as a personal experience with God. I've got to recognize, I need you, Jesus. I need your sacrifice. I believe you died for me. I believe you paid the price for my sin. I accept you as Savior and Lord. That's my moment when my sins are forgiven. That's my moment when the blood is applied. All right, in Hebrews 1, I'll just read this to you in verse three. In the second part, it says this. When he, Jesus, had by himself purged our sins. There it is again. He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. All right, so we just wanted to go back and do a little refresher and read. Those scriptures mean so much more after we understand that Jesus was the sin offering. He was. And I wanna just mention something else. As you look at the picture of the outer court, you'll notice that the altar, as you went through the gate, that's the first thing you would see. Step one, receive salvation. Step one, receive Jesus. But behind it, there's a second thing called the laver. But you can't really see the laver from the gate, you see the altar. This matters in the layout because there's something's gonna go on at the laver that you don't need to be worried about just yet. You just need to be worried about receiving Jesus right now, not what's gonna happen next. That's step one. So uh, to that end, let's look at the laver. And uh, it's very interesting as we get into the laver, we're gonna see some things. This is in Exodus chapter 30. And I'm gonna read a few verses here from verse 17. Exodus 30 and verse 17. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, you shall also make a laver of bronze. What does bronze stand for? Judgment. Uh, With its base also of bronze for washing. And you shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. I didn't know that about the labor until I started to look at it. There was washing of hands and washing of feet. It's all significant. (laughs) Your hands represent what you do. Your feet represent where you go. Now, I want to just go over to a New Testament reference here in Ephesians 5, 
How do we see Jesus in the labor? Well, there's a lot of ways, but here's one that I believe uh, we should look at today. This is in Ephesians chapter five. And we're gonna read verse 25 and 26. Seemingly unrelated, but stick with me. This is gonna get good. Look at your neighbor and say, this is gonna get good. And now I'll say back to them, I know. <laughs> you, can't, you can't look into God's word by revelation, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, following what God's got you following and not find something good. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might, here comes a word, sanctify, we're gonna talk about that word a little bit, sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Washing, Jesus wants to wash his people with the word and sanctifies people. A lot of people try to get sanctified, find sanctification before they find salvation. That's not the order. If you try to do that, you will become very frustrated and you will find yourself saying things like, I just need to get my life together and then I can receive Jesus. But God wants you to get to receive Jesus so he can help you get your life together. That's called sanctification. That's an ongoing process for every believer. Every believer that's received Jesus is born again and saved. Their sins are forgiven. But guess what? Our souls are being restored ongoing by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why this walk can get better and better because if we let Jesus do it, right? So, so Jesus in the labor, he's talking about sanctify and cleanse with the washing of water by the word. Now there's a source for the bronze for the labor that's different than the source for the bronze for the altar. And this also is significant, and we're gonna look at this in Exodus 38. Mm. Mm. Exodus 38. It says, the making of the bronze laver is the heading above this. And it says, he made the laver of bronze and its base of bronze from the bronze mirrors of the serving women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So this was a more finished product of bronze, a, a more refined bronze that was so refined that you could, the ladies would use these for mirrors in Bible times. They would use this bronze as a mirror. This is what's in the laver specifically and uniquely. And so you picture now the laver as there's water in the bowl and a person approaches the laver, it's so refined, you're gonna see yourself a reflection, an image in the laver. Now we're talking about water represents the washing of the word and we're talking about sanctification. Okay, so just kind of keep all that going. Stay with me. Mm. All right. So the laver, the laver represents sanctification. Now think bronze represents judgment, but not necessarily the way we're thinking. I would say it this way, self-judgment. Be willing to judge yourself as it's revealed by the word of God, our own shortcomings. That's the key to sanctification. Every one of us needs to know that we are not perfect 
You might not know that about yourself, but I hate to break it to you. I hate to pop your bubble, burst your balloon, but you're not perfect and I'm not either. And even the apostle Paul, who was so far along in his walk with the Lord, said, I haven't arrived yet. But this one thing I do, I forget those things that are behind and I press towards the goal. Sanctification is moving towards a goal where I'm gonna let Jesus fix me up, put the pieces back together in my life. In John 17, Jesus said this, sanctify them by your word, your word is truth. So God has a working of sanctification that'll come into play after salvation. That's why we don't overload people when we share the gospel with, you know, you gotta stop doing this and doing that and oh, what an ugly tattoo and you know, all this, oh, your hair, don't go there. Ah, uh-uh. God loves people. That's just outside stuff. He wants to get his spirit on the inside and he'll work it to the outside, right? Get Jesus, then get restored, right? Get him, then get help, right? Get Jesus on the inside so he can work to the outside, right? Don't try to get it all together and then come to Jesus. Get Jesus and he'll help put it all together. Amen. Somebody say amen. So we're all on a journey. Initial sin gets taken care of at the altar. Sanctification gets taken care of at the laver. There's something that happens at the laver that involves us though because it's not automatic. Don't you wish it was automatic? We could just do so much better, so much faster if it was just automatic. Well, it's not exactly. It's supernatural. Change is coming. But listen to this. Sanctification always involves our cooperating with the working of the Holy Spirit. We work with the Holy Spirit. That's why it's possible to get born again and then get stuck if we stop letting the Holy Spirit sanctify us. And that's a whole nother, you can take any one of these and you know, uh, go on a journey with God and the Holy Spirit in them. But it explains a lot. It explains how some people get stuck. They stop going to the labor. They stop judging themselves as, uh, in, a, in, in accordance to what God's word says, right? Stop looking into the mirror. James chapter one and verse 21. Mm. And this is a work of grace, by the way, but grace is meant to be received and worked with. Oh, there's some good stuff there. Hallelujah. James chapter one, verse 21. As soon as I find James, I can read it. There we go. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness And do what? Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. Your soul is separate than your spirit. Your spirit is saved when you're born again. God's spirit's on the inside of you. You have three parts. Spirit, a soul, and a body. That part's complete. Man, I got Jesus in my spirit. He's he's rebirthed his spirit in me. I got it on the inside, on the very inside of me, he's there. Now my soul needs some restoration. So this is all under a covering. (laughs) This gets really good because it's under a covering of these panels that are five and five, grace, the local house. We're gonna see a little bit more on that. These panels, this is all being done under, under the protection. The best place to get restored is in a good local church. 
We can go a certain measure of the distance once we receive Jesus, but if you're a spiritual drifter, you might spend a lot of time drifting in the wilderness like the old cowboy drifters just going from place to place. It might take you a lot longer to get there, but it's better to pray and say, God, where do you want me to go so that I can get fully restored? Amen. So, so uh, it's a working of the Holy Spirit. In James 1, and then it says this, verse 22, we're in James 1, 22, but be ye doers of the word. And I just wanna emphasize the word do. You can't just receive Jesus and do nothing and get sanctified because not much will change in our soul unless we start to let God show us the things that he wants to, it's an exchange. This is why you don't worry about this stuff before you get saved because you can't fix it on that side of Jesus. Before Christ, before receiving Jesus, I can't fix myself, but after Jesus, he can fix me if I work with him. All right, you're with me, good. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer, this one will be blessed. What's he saying? If I can look into the laver and let God change my identity, let him change the person that he wants me to see, if I can look in that laver and see the person he wants me to become by listening to his word and working with the Holy Spirit, I can become that person. I mean, the Bible's full of examples, right? Remember, remember Gideon hiding and the angel comes and goes, you mighty man of valor. He's about to change Gideon's image of himself. What did Gideon become just after that? A mighty man of valor. Something changed in the way he looked at. He started to look at himself the way God looked at himself. That's life-changing. Because you'll start to value yourself the way God does, and you'll start to let him work with you, and the things of the world become strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Our image is so important. If I got my image from Facebook and celebrities, boy, I got problems because they've got more problems than you and I know about going on in their lives. So we don't wanna emulate them. Most of them have a lot of problems going on. Most of them are not happy people. I would venture to say the ones who are happy are the ones who have Jesus. <laughs> Those ones are happy for the most part, amen. So, so it's our image. It's a lot about image. It's about looking into the word of God. Who does God say I am? Who does God say I am meditating on that and not getting hung up on where I am right now? See, the wonderful thing about sanctification is it sees me in the future. Did you know God can see you in the future and tell you who you can become if you'll agree with him? <laughs> he can do that because he's God. Amen. The potential is there. All he needs me to do is hear his word and do his word. There's a doing of his word. We're gonna go a little further, a little further. All right, let's go to John chapter 15. While you're going there, I'll just make a statement. Look into the mirror of the word. Who does God say I am? Believe that and act on that. 
Don't start saying, I'm so stupid all the time. You know, you might, agree, you might do that to yourself. Like, I'm such a klutz. I'm so stupid. I never do anything right. I, I hear, listen to that stuff all day long from sinners. I, I, I'm always broke. I, I'm a day late and a dollar short. I got no friends. I got this. I got that. I'm such a loser. All this stuff, that's all designed for you to look at that stuff and emulate that identity. And without cooperating with this, and looking into this law, by the way, it's called the law of liberty, the word of liberty. It's gonna give you liberty, which is another word for freedom. This is what sets me free, is seeing myself in here and believing God for it and moving that direction. Now, I might have to control where my feet go for a period of time. They gotta get washed too. I'm a, I'm a, I might have been going to some bad places. I gotta start going to some good places. By the way, you're in a good place today. You made a choice to direct your path here today. God is about to reward you substantially for making that choice because he's a rewarder of those who seek him. I first started going to church. I used to be so hungover, I would butt my smoke at the door. You remember, and I'd say, we're not going in for the praise and worship. I can't stand that music. Something in me doesn't like it. I was so demonized that I couldn't handle church music and yet I was a musician but I had opened myself up to so much bad music, playing in the weddings, in the bars and all that jazz. And, you know, I was gonna be the next Merle Haggard or Willie Nelson and I had it down, man, I could do it. I could do it for you right now. And it would sound country. And you know what? It's like that old Johnny Lee country song, looking for love in all the wrong places. But when I found Jesus, amen, he started a process in me, but then I had to make some choices about where my feet would go for a period of time so I didn't get pulled back into some things before I could get some sanctification, you understand, and experience some good things in my soul. The devil likes to take people out right away if he can because they don't get to experience the, sanct the labor part. See, that's, that's where our identity changes and that's where real change comes. You don't necessarily feel salvation initially. It's not based on a feeling, but you will feel sanctification. Woo, why? Because it's in your soul. Your emotions are affected by sanctification. All of a sudden, addictions start to go away. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is now teaching, uh, directing your feet, don't go where you shouldn't go, but do the other thing, go where you should go. You know, don't just say no to drugs. Say no to drugs, but say yes to Jesus. It'll work way better. If you just say no to some things, you're gonna default to something else, right? Jesus, the altar, the laver, hallelujah. Okay, uh, we were going to John 15. Did we read that yet? No, okay, thank you. <laughs> Wasn't sure. John 15, let's go there. Oh, thank you, Lord. See, he doesn't stop working in us. We're the ones who stop letting him work in us if we're not careful. I'm not talking to that crowd today. Thank goodness. Look at what Jesus said in John 15. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends for all things that I've heard from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. So God's got plans for your life that are really good. They're way better. 
And it involves hearing his word and doing his word. It involves going to the laver. It involves changing my identity. You ever notice the devil tries to remind you of all the bad things you did and tries to remind you of an old identity before Jesus? Have you ever noticed that? I'm telling on him today. It says he's the accuser of the brethren. It says God doesn't want us to have that condemning con- condemnation, not yield to that. You can fix a lot of things by starting to agree with who God says you are. You could change a lot of things by getting up in the morning and instead of saying, oh, I'm such a, lazy, a loser, I'm, I'm late, I'm always late. You could get up in the morning and say, I always do those things that please the Father. To your soul. I couldn't do that. Yes, you could. You go to the labor, you can say everything that's in here to yourself and watch it come to pass and watch your identity change and your very image change. The Bible says, we are being changed from glory to glory as by the spirit of God into his image. Woo! That the excellency of the power is of him and not of us. And I believe, therefore I speak. You gotta speak to your soul. David spoke to his soul. He said, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Come on, soul. You don't feel like, you know, you, <laughs> you know, your soul might go into church and go, praise the Lord. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an effort. I understand. But you can tell your soul to get into it. You can say, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Come on, soul. Start blessing God. Why? Because one of the reasons, we didn't even talk about praise and how it relates to the tabernacle, but God inhabits the praises of his people. You want God's help? Praise God. Enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart. Here's the thing you can do at the labor. Instead of complaining, we're getting real practical real fast. Instead of complaining, I'm gonna give you a cure for depression from the word of God. Instead of complaining and doubting, start to be thankful. That's a first step to the healing that depression causes in a person's life. Be thankful, thank God for what you do have, don't murmur about what you don't. Be thankful to God for what you do have and start practicing thanksgiving. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. Thanksgiving is an initial way. If you, if you don't feel comfortable praising the Lord, I didn't at all. And even after I was saved, it, it was weird to me, some of the stuff. It was weird when I saw someone, you know, do this in front of me. I was like, what, what are they reaching for? You know, what, what are they doing? I didn't know. I didn't grow up around anything like that. So it was all new. I mean, I was intrigued and I, and I, and I started going to the worship part because I started to sense, hey, that doesn't really, I'm, something's changed in me now. It's begun a process. It's different now. Amen. So God's so good. He wants us to stick with it till change comes. Mm. till change comes. Okay, we're gonna talk now, uh, I'm gonna condense the next part just a little bit, but we're gonna talk about the curtains. We did a little bit already that are over the holy place. There's a little picture in here that I believe God wants us to look at together. So this is in Exodus chapter 26. I know we're, we're looking at a lot of things. Exodus 26. And if you read on your own from verse one to verse nine, you will have some explanations of the panels, the loops, all the details about the tabernacle. (laughs) There's a lot of numbers in there. They're all significant. 
Uh, sometime we'll talk about the significance of all of the numbers of God, but I wanna draw out just a little portion of this. I made mention of it earlier, that the holy place had the covering on it, and there was one section of curtains or, or panels that was five plus five. Stay with me. Five is grace, five is the local church. It's about the fivefold ministry, which by the way is for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. A lot of churches get that all messed around and think, well, it's up to the pastor to do all the ministry. No, it's actually up to the saints. You're the light, you're the one who's going out and I'm the one going out and we're meeting this world. Use your gifts and talents out there on that mountain. Take over some ground out there, not just in here. It's good to be built up in here, but we're getting equipped so we can go out there and share with a dying world. And you're the only Jesus they're gonna see, by the way, probably. Probably, initially, certainly, they're gonna be looking at you. So the equipping of the saints to do, I just wanna emphasize that word do. There's a doing, there's a doing. Sanctification brings us into the place of doing God's word. Amen. Somebody say amen. Five pounds. I know I'm covering a lot of ground, so you got to kind of stick with me. If you get distracted, then you got to kind of play to play catch up. So I see that sometimes. I just, I'll be honest, I see it there. It's just, okay, bring me up to speed. It's like you're hitchhiking on the highway and a Maserati goes by you. It's like that. You, you get in the Maserati and away you go. Sometimes it's like that. I'm, I apologize for that, but get in, hang on, buckle up. We're gonna wrap this up, this part, hallelujah. Five is the number of grace. It's the number of the local church. Now in this covering, here we go. Are you in? Are you in the vehicle with me? Are you buckled up? Put your seatbelt on, click, let me hear it click. Click, okay, good, we're going, we're going. You're with me, okay. There's another section of panels that are underneath that are five plus six and it leaves one panel exposed. And that section of panels is not made of fine linen, which also speaks of righteousness of God and the righteous deeds of the saints, his righteousness. But this sixth panel is made of goat hair. Goat hair is symbolic of sin. Because if you remember at the end, Jesus brings the goat nations and the sheep nations to him. It's, and, and the scapegoat was where the sin was put on. So, so just all you need to get out of this is six is the number of man because man was created on the sixth day and it's the number and, and goat hair represents sin. So when you see six panels made of goat hair and one of them peeking out, on the outside corner of the holy place, looking towards the laver and the altar, it is to remind us that sinful nature still has the potential, it's still there. You are still vulnerable to your flesh. Can I say it that way? So you've gotta keep putting that to the laver and you've gotta keep looking at that altar. That's why the apostle Paul said, I die daily. There are decisions to make as a Christian to protect us, uh, us from our own soul that's being redeemed, by the way, but we're not there yet. How many would be honest, now everyone's gonna put up their hand, and say, I'm not there yet. Just put up your hand, I'm not there yet. There used to be a t-shirt that was going around, I liked it, it said, be patient with me, God isn't finished with me yet. That's, you know, that's humorous, but it's also very true. We can be patient with each other. God is working on us. He's sanctifying us. 
Amen. So that little panel then is looking outward into the outer court. That's what we need to see in that picture. I could, if I didn't watch myself and make myself do God's will, I could potentially do my own will. I could potentially miss it. I could potentially fall away. Paul said, lest having preached to others, I become a castaway. He said, I buffet my body. It's spelled like the word buffet. So one, one preacher said, I read that, I buffet my body. And I thought, oh boy, no, this is not a golden corral scripture. It's not all you can eat Chinese, you know, golden duck buffet, all you can eat scripture. It's buffet. It means I stop myself. I don't let my feet go where they want to go sometimes. I don't let my mind go where it wants to go sometimes. Because once you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you know he's got something much better. So don't condemn yourself if there's stuff flying around up in here. Every Christian, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wreck something for the devil right now. I'm gonna spoil his day. Every believer deals with junk in their mind. You will never get to the place where there isn't something trying to assault your mind. The measure of it will go down, 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 down as you go up, 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 up. And as we get full of God, that is called walking in the spirit. Walking in the spirit doesn't mean you glow in the dark and you glide and you don't have to use escalators. Walking in the spirit means I'm gonna spend time with the Holy Ghost and his word and change is gonna come and I'm gonna get sanctified and I'm gonna stay full and be filled of the Holy Spirit. That's involved in sanctification. That's involved in walking in the spirit. What does it say? If you do that, you're not gonna fulfill any fleshly lust. So it's, it's very attainable. This is like nuts and bolts, but this is reality. Sanctification is a wonderful thing. And if nobody talks about it, people sometimes think, well, there's those people that have it all together, but I can't be like them because I've got stuff going on up here. Don't ever do that because God's people also have to fight battles up here. Amen. But <laughs> happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Happy are the people that saw some Goliaths get slain, saw some giants come down. You know what it does? It builds spiritual momentum in your life. When you see Goliath fall, you're not worried about his four brothers. By the way, David ran to the brook and grabbed up five smooth stones and everybody wondered why. It's because Goliath had four brothers that were next in line for a whooping. Amen. That's the grace of God, five, right? That'll take down every, oh man, we're, we're, we're in it now. That's the grace of God that will take down every giant out of your life. And you know what, giants guard? New territory that you can take and have. You can have it because God says you can have it. The giant stood in the way of God's people and said, you can't have this land. And God said, it's already given to my people. And David got a revelation got his eyes of his understanding at home. He said, who does this uh, uncircumcised Philistine think he is that he should defy the armies of the living God? He got a revelation. Heaven was about to back him up. About to back him up. It's good if you know you got backup. 
We have a, a little dog that we babysit sometimes and she'll go, our dog's fairly big and he looks fairly intimidating. He has yellow eyes and he looks a bit like a wolf. He's just a big puppy dog, literally. But, but, but he looks really intimidating when he runs towards you with all his hair up on his back and his yellow eyes. And then we have this little dog we babysit and she'll go running out the driveway barking. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, she'll get, and he'll let her get way out in front of him. And then she'll kind of look over her shoulder to see if she's got backup. And he'll be back by the house sometimes just to mess with her. And she'll be, you need backup. You need, to know, you need to know that you have backup. And the only way to know it is to look in this word and find out I've got backup when I'm doing the right thing. I have a right to take down that giant that says, no, you're not going to. Uh-uh, you have a right, but we got to go to the labor. We got to go to the word. We got to get washed. We got to get our identity changed. Because if I think I'm a grasshopper, like the children of Israel thought, guess how I'll act like a grasshopper. That's what they said. We were grasshoppers in the giant's sight. And then they say this, and so we were in our own sight. Their image of themselves was grasshoppers. God said, you can take down everything you can have the promised land. And it says they issued an evil report. Oh, let me burst one more bubble, one more bubble real quick. My doubt and fear and unbelief works against the spirit of God in my life. So if I nurture doubt and fear and unbelief, I will at some point be working against the spirit of God trying to help me. I just gave you something good, amen. God does not want us to be lost in our own minds, following voices in our head that try to tell us an identity or so immersed in this culture that my identity, the person I think I should be or emulate is coming out of this culture mess that we're engaged in right now. You are being bombarded with the wrong image. You are, me too. We're constantly being bombarded with images that tell us this is who you should be and then you'll be happy. I wanna tell you that that is just a facade. That is just a giant trying to talk nice to you because he doesn't want you to become who God says you are. Amen, amen. So as we've seen, I'm gonna, I'll share one more scripture here. We got a few minutes since it's our last one. Let's look at one more thing here. Uh, There's a couple right at the end of the, of number four here. I feel like I got time to do one more here. Mm, There's a couple scriptures at the end, but let's look at Romans 11. And we'll start in verse 33. Because remember, when you're standing at the holy place and you're looking, you see the laver right in front of you, but you do also see an altar there. (laughs) There is an altar to be seen that yes, Jesus offered himself on it, but there's also a dying to myself that comes into play. So I need to be mindful of it. And I like Romans 11, the end part of it, and the first part of Romans 12, because it talks about this New Testament, in New Testament doctrine, very solid. And so I'm just gonna read from Romans 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. I'm in Romans 11:33. If you read that on the surface, you might think I can never understand God. Oh, how past learning are his understanding. You know what it really means? And it is a term among other things that is a mining word. It means when you hit a vein of gold in God, 
It will never end if you'll keep digging. It means you'll never get to the place where you know everything about God. So start digging into it because it's gonna get richer and richer and richer. Amen. Who has known, then verse 34, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Oh boy, there's a big one right there. Do you worship your opinions and not God? All of us sometimes do to a measure, we just don't admit it. But if you put your opinion above God, you are acting like his counselor. Because when the spirit of God says to you, this is the way it is, and you go, no, I think it's this way. <laughs> well, well, you don't know the mind of the Lord. You're not his counselor and I'm not either. Guess what? I don't get to tell God what to do. God tells me what to do. And if I don't listen to him, he talks a lot quieter. He'll just back off and he'll go, okay, fine. Do it your way, because he's not a taskmaster, amen. He's not. He wants us to do things because we want to, because we're willing to, because we submit to him. Who has known the mind of the Lord become his counselor? Who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. We're almost done. Verse 12, just keep reading sometimes. Don't stop because the number ended, just keep reading. I beseech you therefore... So in other words, because of these things, you're never gonna find out everything about God. Get into it and dig into it. You're not so smart. You're not smarter than God and you didn't start this ball rolling with God. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, you acknowledge you've got to die to yourself. You don't die physically. You can't pay for your sins, but you can die to your will. In, <laughs> if we let him, the Lord will set us up every day for a way that we can yield to him, right? So it sounds terrible, die, you know, sacrifice. Well, Paul said, I die daily. What was he talking about? He's talking about this. But to keep reading, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world. There it is again. Don't, don't let all this input shape your mind. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word perfect really means mature. It really means mature. So I can mature if I'll practice dying to myself, and obviously we're not gonna die to everything. You're still gonna have to eat food and, and all those things. You can't, you can't just die to everything. But I guarantee you there's something that the Holy Spirit is speaking to each and every one of us about that we could die to, or we could make an adjustment on, make a little time adjustment on. I guarantee you that's the case. If we'll listen, if we'll listen. And the reason for that is so I can allow the process of sanctification to continue. There's a, benefit, there's a huge benefit to that. It's not, it's not just so that I can put myself down. It's so that I can get more of him. That's sanctification. But before a person knows Jesus, they don't need to know about that. They're not supposed to be thinking about that. They're not even supposed to see that yet. You're supposed to say, Jesus Get Jesus, get saved, and he'll start doing something in you and he'll fix that. Don't worry about that. He'll fix that. It's okay. It's just cosmetic. It's just in your soul. It's just junk in your soul. God knows how to get the junk out of our soul. And where it says the renewing of your mind, it literally means renovation. 
It means out with bad stuff and in with good stuff. Let's just let God do the process. And that's unique to you. That's unique to me. You've got your chunk and I've got mine. And it doesn't matter how mature we get, there's still gonna be a little dust ball somewhere. You know, dust bunnies live in mansions. They're there in the corners, you can find them. I'm sorry, Lisa, but there's dust bunnies in really expensive homes, you know that. You can never clean them all, they will come back. Amen, it's a process. Just learn to understand that God loves you or he would never have saved you. He didn't save you so you could fail. He saved you so you could succeed, as it says in Philippians, he who began a good work in you. I know I said that was the last scripture, but this is the last scripture, I promise. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in you. You. Say, say this with me. He who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it in me. Amen. If you meditate on that daily, I'm telling you, this is a prescription for a successful, prosperous soul. Bonus scripture. <laughs> Beloved, I wish above all things you would prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. That's the condition of the promise. People like to take that promise and go, prosper and be in health, prosper and be in health. And God says, no, we gotta work on your soul so that you can meditate on that and it can become a reality to you. A prosperous soul leads to a prosperous body. Amen, amen. Well, God bless you. I hope you've enjoyed this as much as we have. And, and as we said many times, this is just some of the glimpses, some of the shadows. We trust the Holy Spirit will take you on a journey with all these things and show you what some specific things that pertain to you. And you'll never be the same as you read the word of God. Once you have an understanding of the different aspects of the tabernacle, it will give you a foundation that you can stand on, you can build on. So God bless you and... Uh, We'll end it there. Hey, thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the online portion of this week's message, but we'd love to connect with you in person. Our services are held weekly at 10 a.m. Sunday mornings, upstairs at 3771 Broadway Avenue, Smithers, BC. If you're on the go and you'd like to participate in tithes and offerings, you can e-transfer them to facfsmithers at citywest.ca. Till next time, God bless and keep you from all of us here at Faith Alive Christian Fellowship.